Exploring the impact of sports. Welcome, Welcome to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Having conversations and hearing personal stories from those who have been impacted, built, and inspired by the role of sports in their lives. Here's your host, Richmond Weaver. This is episode 102. Thanks for being an investor by investing your time to listen. Oftentimes in life, we allow ourselves to be defined by one thing, whether it's our job, our past, or how others perceive each of us. But we will still be the same person with the same goals, interests, and passions, regardless of a perceived definition. And our guest this episode, Patrick Sapp, isn't defined by just being a football player. Growing up in Jacksonville, Florida, Patrick would attend Clemson University and would become the starting quarterback before moving to linebacker his senior season, where he would become a starter there as well, while also playing basketball for the Tigers. And ultimately, he was drafted in the second round of the 1996 NFL Draft by the San Diego Chargers, playing as a linebacker with the Chargers and Arizona Cardinals before he retired in 2002. After serving as vice president for Acceleron Sports, his path would eventually lead back to his alma mater in 2006, working in the Clemson Alumni Association, where you can currently find him as the director of major gifts and alumni engagement, and he's also the founding member of One Clemson, which consists of Clemson alumni with successful careers in professional sports and in business with an interest in helping Clemson student-athletes transition into their careers. Here's episode 102 with Patrick Sapp. Patrick Sapp, thank you. Uh, Greatly appreciate you. you sitting down with me here. Let appreciate me steal it. some of your time, man. Hey, I appreciate it. Appreciate the offer and uh, looking forward to it. And every time I see you, you're always just this fashion statement. It doesn't matter if you're dressed down like you are right now, just in your in your sweats, but you've always got this fashion thing going on. And for the people that can't see, they're just listening to the podcast. You've got to go to our YouTube channel or Facebook page so you can see my man just all fashioned up here. So has fashion always been something... That you have gravitated towards? You know what? Yes, I, I believe so. Um, my mom, you know, we didn't have much growing up, but you were going to have clean clothes. They were going to be ironed, and you was going to be neat. <laughs> and when you left that house, your hair is going to be combed. So for me, that just kind of always stuck with me. And uh, over the years, I just like different fashion and, and tried to, to kind of have my own fashion, so to speak, my own style. Um, so I get a lot of compliments on the way that I dress and some of the things I put together. and. Yeah. And enjoy. Well, you can wear hats so well. That's what I'm jealous about. Every time I see you, you've got some <laughs> nice hat going, and I'm, I'm jealous from that aspect. And, you know, for me, my style, I, I'm a big Johnny O brand. I love his style. Right. And your style, what is your style, and what do you look for? Man, I like to be, I think fashion is being versatile, right? So for whatever the occasion is, you can match it and you can meet it. So if it's something that is that is very casual, uh, but something outdoors, say, for instance, uh, an event like that. And if you can dress for that, you know, have something you can put together to be outside um, as well as to, you know, go to something that is very dressy. So, for instance, if you're going to the White House to eat cheeseburgers, hey, you can put something <laughs> on that's appropriate <laughs> for that. But uh, I would say my style is just kind of what I like and what I feel. I kind of get dressed in the morning on how I'm feeling that day. And I've always loved hats. My dad was a big hat guy. Um, he always say, don't go out the door without something on your head. So I think that kind of stuck with me as well. And it's funny, my son is that way now. He's 14. So he's following your yes, footsteps. and he steals my hats now like I used to do with my dad. So <laughs> I think it's going to continue in the family. Now, how often it is, is it that you're reaching for one of your hats and he's got it? Oh, yeah. It's like that with hats and shoes now. He wears the same size shoes I wear. 13. 13? And he's how old? 14. And so. Good grief. (laughs) So I have to fight him out my closet already. (laughs) I'm in the same boat. A lot of my clothes end up missing. And I know it's one of my sons that grabbed it. So I completely understand that. Now, at some point, didn't you have your own uh, clothing store or something? So what's the backstory on that? My first four years in the league, I had uh, clothing stores called Coast to Coast. One was in Tallahassee, Florida, and others in Jacksonville, Florida. 
And uh, it was a man's fashion store, uh, casual to, to business wear. Um, and I ended up selling after four years. But it was a, it was a hard thing to do to, to run a business on the East Coast when you live on the West Coast. Yeah, because this is and when so, you're with the Chargers. Yeah, so you learn a lot of lessons by <laughs> starting a business somewhere <laughs> that you're not living, 2,000 miles between. Uh, but it was a good – I learned a lot uh, business-wise through those ventures. Uh, my brother had a chance to work with my brother during that time. He kind of managed the stores for me. Uh, so it was it was a good learning experience for me. Uh, but haven't gone into uh, any fashion stores or anything like that since. But uh, Yeah, but it was I your own it. MBA, though. Yeah, it was. Your own life experience it was. of starting it was. a business. So how Definitely. hard was it to actually start it, though? Um, it probably took a year, year and a half to do. Um, me and some friends and the guy that was my agent at the time, Phil Williams, kind of sat down. And, and since I was into fashion myself and, and went to a lot of the shows in Vegas to to buy the stuff that we sold, um, we just kind of sat down and put the plan together, putting a partnership together. And, uh, and we went at it. And I remember going out on the first trip to, to buy for the store out in Vegas at the super, uh, super store, super show. Um it was overwhelming because now it's my money. It was my investment. It was mine. So I would have to look different. at things a little differently <laughs> than when I was just, you know, a consumer buying things. Um, so you have to be conscious about what other people like. That's what I probably learned most anything about having a clothing store. It's not about your own fashion and what you like. It's about what is the demand out there? What what does the majority of the public like? And what age group are you marketing, targeting? All those things I learned through that process uh, in doing that. Yes, because you got to keep up with the trends. Yes. Not just what you like. Yeah. You got to make sure you're getting some items that are popular and are going to sell. Right. And that was, that was the joy of I think I had a good team in the sense that I had people that uh, was not afraid of me. You could tell me, hey, Patrick. That's, that ain't you need fly. to pass on that right, one. Right, right. <laughs> because everything I was lo- like was, you know, wanted to buy was kind of what I saw myself wearing or liking. And, and, again, at that time, a lot of our customers were younger than me. And so, like you say, the hot trends, the loud colors, all those types of things that they were into, I was not into. So we had to have a diverse team of buyers to really kind of hit that market and, and kind of represent uh, what's out there in the demand. Were there things that – looking back now that you would have done differently? Yes. I would have been, I would have started a business where I could be there at least three times a, a week to kind of be around my employees, kind of be around customers, kind of put my own self into the business and understand what they're dealing with and what they're going through and, and kind of have a true evaluation from my standpoint. Me not being there, I couldn't really evaluate things. I couldn't really make suggestions I kind of had to go by what they told me all the time and uh and as an owner that ain't always good you know you you want to be able to be hands-on so I would never start anything that I'm not can't be there at least three times a week and why didn't you try to do it later well it was you know you kind of learn you go through that in the sense of you, you you're trying to do things while your brand is still well you still have a platform yeah and so that's something that veterans taught me in the league, guys that were doing good business outside of football uh, during that time. I was like, hey, man, use your platform right now. Don't wait till it's over with to start to jump out there. Um, so that was the reason why, you know, I got involved with foundation work, community work, um, in the business world during that time because I really wanted to make an impact on things. Growing up then in Jacksonville, because, I mean, that, that's your hometown. Yes. And I know you love Jacksonville. Duval. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Big shout out to Duval. That's right. So before you got into the fashion world, per se, you know, in a business sense, and before you were in the NFL, what was life like for Growing up in Jacksonville? Patrick Sapp? Growing up, and you're still in your dad's hats. Man, I, I'll tell you this. I had great parents to start. Uh Six of us. I'm the youngest of six kids, so three girls, three boys. So I literally had maybe family. four moms growing up because all my <laughs> sisters was like moms, and, and then I had my mom. But great parents, but we were in the inner, inner city as well. So you walked out your door, house is full of love, um, great guidance from there, but as soon as you left out your door, it was a different world. Um, had some great friends growing up, but 
was around a lot of things growing up, you know, from from drugs to murder to, you know, I'm not ashamed to say my own sister got addicted to crack for, you know, probably 10 or 12 years of her life. Uh, now she's, thank God, she's clean and been clean for over 15 years. And Oh, congratulations for her, yes. But experiencing a lot of that close up. Uh, thankful I have some good older friends. And a lot of guys may say this, or I was fortunate enough to have it, was, you know, I had guys that would not allow me to do some of the bad things that they were doing. You know, because they, they saw, I guess, the talent in me as a kid. Because growing up in Florida, man, you play football in the streets at three years old. You know, and it's big time. You get after it, right? right? So you learn how to catch, run, throw, you know, at that age before you ever play organized football. So you kind of know the talent around you, so to speak. So the guys knew I was great in sports, and and so they just kind of helped me stay clear of a lot of stuff, man, and supported me in what I was doing. And I think with my parents and, and having friends like that really allowed me to escape through that part of life without making too many bad mistakes and, and, and getting caught up in some situations. And speaking of those guys that were obviously talking to you in terms of, hey, do as we say, don't do as we <laughs> right. do, right? <laughs> exactly. Do what yes. I say, not as I do. <laughs> That's right. And so <laughs> those, those type of guys were, I guess, quote unquote, mentors, so to speak. Did, well, I wouldn't say mentors, but these were the guys that – was doing all the bad things in, in the streets, but they had all the street cred, they had all the respect, they had everything else. So when they said something moved, it moved. They wanted something done, it got done. So from that perspective, yeah, they, they was the did power they, guys. So I guess, did they protect you? Yes, they did. They did. So they didn't allow me to do a lot of stuff bad. They didn't allow well, folks to bother me. They just kind of supported me on my path, man. And, uh, and I was appreciative of that. You know, they never recruited me to do some of the things they were doing. They always told me to stay away, you know. So was football your first love? That's what you fell in love with once you get out there? Yeah, football was probably my first love because my brothers played football. Um, and that's what we did. You know, on Christmas, you got a football, a sweatsuit, and that was it. <laughs> and so Christmas, there's probably 40 kids on our street out there just playing a big game of football. And you just do that every day, all day. Um, I can't. I really got into basketball later, uh, probably uh, maybe ten, eleven years old, because one of my friends happened to get a basketball goal in his yard, and then we started playing that and football. So that's kind of how so I started. play that all the time as well, right? Yep. It didn't matter, especially no. in Jacksonville. The weather's always good. No we'll video get out there games. And play. So we no distractions. <laughs> I know, and that's the way it was for us growing up. We're yep. in the same age bracket, and. You just went outside and played and played. Do you find that as a challenge as a parent now, trying to make sure that I tell you what your kids are doing those type of things? Because those are some of my fondest memories. It's it's not a challenge in the sense of I think the only challenge is not a lot of kids just for my son to say, "Hey, man, go outside and play." And it's nine other kids to play with. You know, it's kind of like maybe one or two, or he's by himself. And so when he was younger. Um, I don't play video games. He just got a, uh, I just brought him a PlayStation for his birthday last year. So we haven't had video games in our house till last year. But I, I wish, you know, for him, I wish he kind of had that, what I had growing up to where you just had a, a bunch of friends and you just play together, you know, if it's tag to kickball to whatever it may be. It's just not like that. Yeah, it does know? seem neighborhoods are different, even yeah. in my neighborhood. We've got a great neighborhood, but it, it's not the same type of thing, right. to your point, that not everybody's out there all the time. Well, and, and I, I think that sense of community is gone because I don't even know all my neighbors on my street. You know, and that's something that's different. I'm embarrassed to say the same thing. Yeah, where growing up, I knew that was, you know, Miss Jardine, that's Miss Smith. You know, you just kind of know everybody. Everybody know you. and, and uh, But now it's just not the sense of community is not like that anymore. Not at all. I remember – I would go next door to borrow eggs yes. or milk from neighbors. Yep. I think that's probably unheard of now. Yeah. You probably get a gun in your face now. <laughs> it's like, like it's some type of trap or something like you say, well, can I borrow some sugar? And they're looking at you like, what? Exactly. It is completely different. So when, though, did it become really apparent for you that, all right, I am a really good athlete, whether basketball, football, that I, I can – make a career out of this, maybe not in the NFL, say, but at least in college. Yeah. 
I would probably say eighth grade is when I, when I started because I it's funny I went from seventh grade playing uh, center and defensive tackle to playing quarterback in eighth grade. So it literally in all one in year, one season. Yeah, I switched to quarterback. We won the championship eighth grade. We won it ninth grade, um, and I started getting letters and stuff in ninth and tenth grade, and then it just kind of started becoming real for me and then you know Jacksonville is is a football town so you I got a lot of press and coverage going through it and uh I started thinking man you know I, I can I can do this at least college like you say um I knew I would have opportunity to do that then my brothers played in college my brother played at Savannah State uh with Shannon Sharp there and uh, my other brother played at uh Edward Waters College in Jacksonville so they play football in college, so for me it was just kind of a natural progression to, you know, eventually one day it'll be my time. And I imagine the Sapp family, it was competitive. It was. <laughs> All of us are big too. Like trust me, my sister, my older sister's six foot, six foot, and my other sister's five ten. And all oh, my yeah. brothers are my height, you know. So that's a it tall was a, family. Yeah, it was a big family. Uh, my dad coached little league some, you know. Um, so we was always around some type of ball uh, growing up, and and so it's something about being the youngest, you get a chance to watch everybody ahead of you, right? Their mistakes, things they do good and bad, and, and you learn from that. And I think that's why I was successful as well. But did you also, as the baby, get away with everything? That's what typically I, happens. Typically, yes. <laughs> but in my in my opinion, my brother and sister probably would say, yeah. yeah of course was, they would. He was rotten. He was That's bad. Right. He got away with everything, <laughs> uh, especially my oldest sister because, you know, oldest probably always the strictest, right? Um, but I didn't see it that way. I, I just felt like I was just kind of thrown in there with everybody at that age. I mean, I guess if you raise five kids and have another one, it's like, you know what, you just get in line and – and get with your with your brothers and sisters, but I enjoyed being the youngest um, and learned a lot from my siblings. Do you guys ever have any knockdown dragouts? Brothers fighting, sisters fighting I, with you? It was uh, six of us in a three bedroom house where all the boys slept in one room, all the girls slept in one room, and then my parents had a room. So you can imagine three boys in one room trying to keep it clean, trying <laughs> to you know constantly being told to clean up, clean up. <laughs> So one day, everybody may jump on me. Then it'll be my brother next to me jump on the oldest. My oldest and me jump on my middle brother. It was <laughs> That was constantly going on. All the time. But uh wouldn't trade it for nothing in the world, man. It's, you don't know what you don't know. And uh, to me, we didn't, we didn't have a lot uh, at all. But I never felt that way because it's just what it was. You know, it was just your life. Yeah. You, you you loved each other. You enjoyed each other. And if you didn't have have it today, that's fine. It, it, life goes on. You got it tomorrow or whenever. So it was it was a good time. During the years that you really start getting recruited now in high school, were you getting recruited for both basketball and football? Yeah. So I was getting recruited for basketball from some smaller colleges. And then, and I think this was more football-led than anything, but schools that was recruiting me in football was also recruiting me in basketball. Now, I know I wasn't that good because I was a 6'4", you know, power forward. You know, I could score points, but come on, I'm 6'4". So I know Clemson really wasn't recruiting me in basketball. You know, Syracuse, um, North Carolina, I mean, Arizona, all these schools were kind of recruiting me for both sports. But uh, Now, were you was, telling people you were thinking about playing yeah. basketball in college as yeah. well? So I, I, yeah, I, I mean that was my plan was to play all the years, and and when I signed with Clemson, that was a part of it uh, as well to play both at Clemson. How did they become into the picture, Clemson? That is, it was uh, interesting. So it kind of went. My top three was Clemson, believe it or not, Syracuse, uh, and Florida State. How yeah. Syracuse though? It was. Because I Kevin Rogers was the, was the quarterback coach uh, during that time, and Pascaloni was the head coach, and so I really got to know those guys well. Um, and they kind of ran a similar offense to what I ran in high school. You know that was that was important. I was I knew I would play as a true freshman there. Uh, I would start because Marvin Graves was leaving my senior year in high school, so they didn't have a quarterback. 
So they recruited me hard and, and they recruited me early. You know, they recruited me all the way from 10th grade and was involved heavily. And then Syracuse basketball, man. I mean, oh, of course, Jim Beheim. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so Carrier Dome. So that's why they got in the picture. But on my visit, oh my God, it was so much snow, man. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have a jacket big enough. I couldn't even begin to understand how cold it was when I was up there on my visit. And they was like, oh, this this rarely happens, you know. And I'm like, yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm a little bit smarter than that. <laughs> you can't. Yeah, you park somewhere and. Two hours later, you got to find your car because it's just covered in snow. <laughs> I, I've never been around that. Um, but it was a great visit when I went up there. Um, so were they time. off the list immediately once you no, got back I kinda, home? No, I kind of still considered them. Uh, two things against them. It was the weather and also just the distance. I know my parents couldn't buy, buy plane tickets all the time to come up there to see me and that kind of stuff. Um Florida State, I wanted to do something different, man. I wanted to get out of state and kind of write my own ticket. I had a lot of high school teammates that went to Florida State from my school. So I kind of wanted to separate from that a little bit. Um, Even though Florida State was obviously a powerhouse. Yeah, and it was kind of in the same situation. You know, uh, Danny, uh, no, 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 um, Brad Johnson and Casey Weldon was graduating. They left uh, my senior year. And then Charlie Ward, most people don't know this. But I'm sure you do. But he was a punter at the time. He was a punter slash quarterback. So they didn't know what Charlie Ward was or what. So they really needed a quarterback. And I was walking into a great situation uh, during that time. But just wanted to, do, to get out and do something different. Um, but Clemson really came down to this. Uh, Rick Stockstill, uh, the history of Clemson, uh, always winning in bowl games at the time, always ranked. Um, a, a university that had a history playing black quarterbacks because during that time, you know, wasn't a lot of schools playing black quarterbacks, right. to be honest. Um, and it wasn't in Florida. It was farther away that, my, you know, that I could do something different, write my own way in a sense, build my own name, but close enough to where my parents could Yeah, your parents enjoy. could come up and watch. Yeah. And then and when it came down to Brian, you know, when, when Brian kind of got in his situation and and uh, I hadn't told anybody what I was thinking about. I hadn't made my decision totally on Clemson. But when Stott was like, Brian can come with me, I, you know, that's kind of what made me. Was that it. the deciding factor? Yeah. That was kind of the last the last thing that, that kind of made me decide. So, so you didn't have this big ceremony and you have oh, all the hats no. out there. <laughs> I don't. I, I hate that. To be quite honest, man. I, when I see that and see that whole production, it, it I watch kids do it. I'm like, why? Like, why? But I mean, we did have a press conference, me and him, uh, and some of the other guys that 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 uh, was going to college too. But we didn't keep it a secret. We didn't like I'm announcing going to Clemson. It was already out. We just kind of talked about you know the reasons why and and that kind of stuff. But now I remember because I was a student at the time. I just remember the football team. I mean, everybody seemed big. And I remember Brian Dawkins, the half shirt, you know, Wayne <laughs> Simmons, the half shirt, you know, LeVon right, out right. there, and you playing quarterback. <laughs> so what was that like your first time that now you're seeing these guys and you got to compete against these guys? It's so funny because vividly right now, I remember the first day of, of camp, uh, preseason camp, and full pass going to practice. And I'm walking out in the field, and I think Chester McLaughlin was in front of me, Brinson Buckner, <laughs> and right. Ashley Shepard. And I'm like, holy smokes, this is what I got to compete against every day. <laughs> then I kind of looked around and saw a couple of my offensive linemen, Stacey Seager, those guys. I said, okay, I feel a little better. <laughs> I might be in good hands. I've got some protection. I've got some hogs in front of me. But, uh, man, that defense was crazy uh, that we had in uh, – and that's that's kind of that first welcome to like, yeah, this is college football, big time college football, you know. And but you get out there and it's like, you know, you're conditioned as an athlete and competitor that once it starts, all that goes away. Yeah, did you miss a beat? Uh, I mean, you it just kind of yeah, got you going. Jump in and and uh, you do your best. The speed of it's different. It's more intense than high school. The speed is faster. Everybody's good. You know, you don't have those big lopsides of talent like you do in high school. Um, but you adjust to it. You know, if, if you're learning and you're paying attention and you you dialed in, uh, you, you adjust to it. 
How was that transition, though, going from quarterback then over to the defensive side? It was uh, uh, some people know this. A lot of people don't know this, but that was my decision to do that. Yeah. So how did you uh, come about that? Man, I got, I got benched my junior year in the middle of the season. Uh, a lot of people don't know this, but I played receiver probably the last four games of my junior year, uh, and because um, I wasn't gonna sit on the bench, I told Stop, like, look, I'm not a bench rider, dude. I moved a receiver, and so I moved a receiver. Neilon Green started the rest of the season, and uh, and then that spring I played basketball. It was Rick Barnes' first year, and I went to Coach West. I said, look. You know, I want to move to a linebacker. I can, and I looked at our linebackers, uh, Waddell Rouse, Tim Jones, all those guys were leaving. And so I knew that position was going to be competitive with some of the young guys. And just being honest and real, I'm like, I'm better than these guys. <laughs> Even though I haven't played defense since junior high school. But I'm like, if I commit to it, you know, I can I can play the position. And What the coaches say? They think he, you were crazy? Yeah. Like, he – we sat in his office, Tommy West, for probably an hour and a half, him trying to convince me not to do it, and I'm trying to convince <laughs> him that I'm going to do it. And I just finally said, look, Coach, I said, man, I've given Clemson all I've had for three years. I hit my head on the wall. I've took I've, – I've got blamed for things. It wasn't my fault for our offense. Never said a word, never said a peep. You know, it's time for me to be a little selfish and do something for me. And uh, so finally he came to this. He said, you know what, Patrick, do you trust me? I said, yeah. He said, I'll watch you the first day of spring practice, and I'll make the decision from what I see on the first day. Do you trust me to do that? And I said, yes. Okay, so there so, was that condition. Yeah. He had the, the, and, and I, the and final say. And I respected say. him enough and believed him enough that he was going to tell me, you know, what he thought. And literally he came to me after practice and said, you starting at outside line. <laughs> After the first and practice, after the first one, and I <laughs> and I just worked every day, and 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 me and Brian and uh, Brian Dawkins and Leamon Evans, I trained with those guys. So I'm like, if I can move like a DB playing linebacker, and that's good. I don't want to train with linebackers. I want to train with the best guys out here. And so that off season, we just worked and worked and worked, set goals, and uh, and it happened for me. It made it happen. So when you say you did all this work, what did that look like? What specifically were you doing well, training-wise? So it was the first time I lift weights to literally get stronger, get stronger and bigger because I was one of those guys that bulked up when I lift a lot. So when I played quarterback, they made me do basketball workouts because I was putting on too much bulk. And uh, so I really didn't do all the stuff the other guys was doing for three years, and then finally I was able to to just lift and really, really get strong and sharpen my body. Um, but it was the the footwork, the drills, the movement of a linebacker that I did. That's the work I had to do because I hadn't done it at that level at all. Last time I played defense was junior high school. So I had a lot backpedaling, turning my hips and flipping and getting in the zones and that kind of stuff. I had to really train and train and train. And so that's what I'm talking about, the work part of it that I, that I did. And that's where Brian helped you out oh, yeah. quite a bit. Yeah, you because know, those guys were safeties that was quick as a cat that can run and turn and flip. That's that's their position. Uh, so, But now you're a hard hitter, to too. Do you take pride in that? Oh, yeah. I mean, I love contact. I wasn't a normal quarterback. Like, I didn't run out of bounds. <laughs> I wasn't getting down. You know, I wasn't sliding back then. It was like, you coming up to hit me, I'm about to drop my shoulder and, and give you some. So – for me, the contact part was was not an issue at all. And a lot of people ask that question. It's, you know, the physical part of it, I'm like, I loved it. Because as a quarterback, and I mean, you guys, Taj, anybody, this, you, you are conditioned to always control your emotions and be the same. You know, regardless of what you feel on inside, you got to be under control. So now as a football player, for the first time, I could just cut loose. You could let it go. And be free and crazy as I want to be, <laughs> which I'm crazy on the football field. So for me, that fit, and I was happy for the first time in a long time, man, because I could just fly around and hit people. So you felt so. like you fell into a more natural position at linebacker, would, or did you miss playing was, quarterback? Definitely I was a natural quarterback. I mean, if I would have stayed a quarterback, I, this, I honestly feel like I could play quarterback in the NFL, once I got there and saw the talent level, and I, I could do that. But I was just in a situation at Clemson that, you know, it didn't fit at the time. Um, and so I just adjusted to that. And defense for me, just emotionally and mentally, 
Uh, I didn't have a whole lot of success at quarterback at Clemson, even though I, you know, I started most of the years. Um, defensively, it was a like refresh, reset, you know, opportunity to to have an impact and have fun. And, yeah, nice reboot. Yeah, and it was it was awesome, man. It, it was really was. And you mentioned as quarterback, sometimes you get blamed for things that might not be oh, yeah. your fault. I mean, and sometimes you might get credit when it might not all be your credit. So yeah. how difficult was that for you when you're getting a lot of this criticism? Well, it was tough because I hadn't dealt with any adversity as far as a lack of success until I got to Clemson. Because everything for me, I've been a star at everything I've done in my life, basketball, football, whatever it was, you know, I was the best at it. But now, you know, this is a bigger scene. You got press you're dealing with. You got talk radio you're dealing with. Folks are, you know, telling you can't play. He can't throw the ball. He's not accurate. You know, the offense is not moving. And when you're in it, in those meeting rooms, you watch film and you see what's happening, you know, it's a lot of it's not my fault. But I can't go out and tell the media it's such and such, this and that. This is why we're not, you know, you just, hey, I got to play better. You know, I got to take it. Uh, this is my loss, you know. Those are the type of things you learn how to do and you internalize everything. Uh, but I had a great coach in, in Stockstill and a good friend to this day. We still talk uh, often. Um, you know, he always – we would be in a room, me and him by ourselves sometimes, say, look, man, hey, just keep your head up. I know it ain't your fault. I know you're dealing with things that, you know, you get some blame on, but we go keep going. We go keep getting better. And so me and him kind of went through that together. Uh, that made it a whole lot better. Um, but we kept that in the room, you know, and, and that's what you have to do, man. It's just a, it's a part of it because you throw for 400 yards and your receiver made two outstanding catches and in the write-up in the paper, you know, patch us out through for 400 yards, right? And I didn't catch those two impossible catches, right? <laughs> but I get the credit for that too. So it, it's the, the good and the bad, man, that, that goes along with the position. Now, growing up, I mean, what type of training were you doing – because I suspect you didn't have some quarterback guru no. coach or anything like that. So was it a lot of it just come natural to you? Uh, so my, my brother's high school quarterback taught me how to throw at about 12, the proper way to throw the football. And I really worked on that on my own. Um, and then high school, yeah, I didn't have a quarterback coach. So we went to individual period. It was me just throwing the football with the backup quarterback. So I really didn't start getting that good coaching until I got to Clemson, you know, where you start really working on footwork and drops and all that kind of stuff. Everything prior to that, I just kind of mimic what I saw on television or mimic what I heard somebody say or, or things that I saw from other guys playing the game. So who did you look up to? Who did you want to be like when you're watching these guys on TV? Um, man, I tell you what, Warren Moon, I think during that time, Doug Williams, when they won the Super Bowl, uh, I watched those guys play. I was a Dallas fan growing up. Uh, oh yes, sir, Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> <laughs> so Danny White and and, and kind of the end of Starbucks era. But I remember watching Danny White at Dallas uh, during that time, uh, playing the position. And then when I was in high school, it was Shane Matthews at Florida, which was an awesome college quarterback. I really liked the way he played the game. Yeah, but so you I weren't a Florida fan, though. No, I wasn't a Florida fl yeah. fan, but I you watched just liked him. Him. Yeah, played a position, and I I learned a lot from from kind of watching him closely. As you after you make this transition to linebacker, then did it hit you that now you have a reality, or it's realistic, I should say, that you can get drafted in the NFL at linebacker? I tell you what, it was so. Um, I think it started hitting me at the end of spring because here I am. Never played a game at linebacker, right? So, you know, the, the NFL do their evaluations for the draft and ranking positions through spring football. They kind of go to practices around the country and watch players play. So at the end of spring football, Tim Beret comes to me, and I was rated the seventh linebacker in the country. I never played a down a linebacker yet. <laughs> and that was through spring <laughs> practice. So I really wrote – uh, I just kind of set a goal every game to get a sack, uh, a tackle for a loss, and six tackles. It was kind of my every game personal goal. Um, 
And I just worked every week and just tried to accomplish things. And and as it got from the beginning of the year, no, I didn't know if I would get drafted or not, to be honest. But by the end of the season, I started, you know, as I signed with my agent and really started evaluating stuff like, man, I'm, I'm going to get drafted somewhere. He said second round. I didn't believe him. I'm like, ain't no way I'm getting drafted. Yeah, second, second round. round. That's I'm like, I might get that's a no joke. fifth round or something like that. I'll be happy. Just let know? me get drafted. Right. I'll be good. <laughs> but you know, as I started doing my personal workouts, uh, it really became real that yeah, I'm gonna be you know somebody's you know second pick, you know overall in their team somewhere. You know, I knew it wouldn't be a first round, but I knew pretty good I'd probably be a second or third round. Do you think playing basketball? That Clemson helped you? Oh, yeah. I mean, I was in the best shape of my life playing for, for Rick Barnes, man. That's a, like oh, yeah. you, that's so a crazy dude. <laughs> uh, so tell but, me, what do you mean crazy? Well, I'll put it this way. So I'll tell you a quick funny story. So Rick hated uh, North Carolina and Duke. He oh, felt, yes, he did. He felt like the league catered to Coach K and to uh, Dean, Dean Smith. Smith at the time. So we played North Carolina at Clemson. They literally had to separate Dean Smith and Rick. Rick was trying to fight Dean Smith in the tunnel at <laughs> halftime. Like, I mean, going at him. And I'm, it done got me hyped. I'm and ready to fight there. everybody. I'm like, yeah, let's go. <laughs> and uh, so we played them up there uh, after that. And Rashid Wallace was playing. And, you know, he was a dirty player. And uh, so Rick walks down the scores table. And told uh, Dean Smith, if you don't cut that out this game, I'm going to stop it today. All right? And he walks right down our bench. Rashid did something else. He yelled at him, I'm telling you right now, it happens again. We go, we go end this today. So something else happened. Now it's three minutes into the game. <laughs> so he, it's early. He runs to me and he's like, go in there, you kick his. Right? And snatches me up, <laughs> throws me in the game. I'm like, heck yeah, you know, I play football. You know, I don't care if I get kicked out of basketball, but I'm going to here to That's right. destroy Rashi, right? So Dean Smith see me checking in and he likes grab big Zwicker. You remember Zwicker? Oh, I do, yes. And he puts Zwicker in and takes Rashid out, right? <laughs> so I still go in the game and we go in and and uh I shot the ball three straight times. Missed all of them, right? <laughs> Early in the shot clock too. And Rick is furious at me now. So he's snatching me out of the game like, what the heck are you doing? And I'm like, Coach, I was open. He's like, you open for a reason. They got a scout report. You ain't hit one <laughs> shot all season, son. Sit down. <laughs> and it was just like, I just couldn't do it. I would look at him and just smile, man. But that's kind of relationship we had. And, and uh, we've kept in touch over the years. And he's doing a great oh, job. He's doing a great and job. And uh, look like he's happy and, uh, and enjoying it. You think he's – Calm down a little bit over the oh, years. Yeah. I mean, he's that's what he crazy. said to me. I talked to him on the phone. Uh, he's like, yeah, I'm changed, Patrick. You know, I don't curse anymore. I don't, you know. <laughs> I'm still tough on the guys a little bit, but, you know, I'm just not crazy like I used to be when I was with you guys. I was like, okay, coach, I need to see that. So that's I right. did. So I watched him in the game, and he didn't curse one time. He was, you know, he got on the get kids, but he was a different guy, man. He was in control. Yeah, yeah. Were you out of control then? When you hear that you've been drafted by San Diego Chargers in the second round, number fiftieth overall, it was uh yes, it was. I mean, it was you know teams start calling in the second round like if you're available, we go draft you. So you know it's coming, right? But you still ain't got that call yet. And uh and I got to know Bobby Bethard, that's who drafted me, doing my workouts. And uh and San Diego was coming on the clock in two picks. But they didn't call me. So he didn't call and give me a heads up or nothing. Um, and we're watching. They got on the clock, and all of a sudden I hear, you know, Patrick Sapp, San Diego Charles. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and then he calls right after that. Right after. And, uh, and so talked where to were him. you? So I was at my agent's house in Atlanta, and we were all there at that time. Did you have and, your family uh, with you? Yeah. And um, so it was good to kind of to kind of go through that and, and enjoy that with them. But then it's like, because literally I had to fly out early that next morning to California and do press and interviews and all that kind of stuff and meet the coaching staff. And so it, you don't, you've had maybe five or six hours to enjoy it, but now yeah, you it's, can't really celebrate it. Yeah. Now you, it's, it's work you know, now. It's, it's gone. Yeah. So what did Bobby Beathard, what did he say to you over the phone? <laughs> well, he, he said, you know, you know, I really liked you. You know, we, we glad we was able to get you, uh, because of doing my workouts, 
he showed answers early on, but in my personal workout with other teams and he was there, he's like, man, stop looking so good in the workout. Like, I, want, I don't want everybody to know. You know, I was like, y'all go drive me first round. I'll start right now and go That's in. Right. And he started laughing. I said, you can't tell me that. I'm still working, man. But I knew he liked me. Uh, I liked him because he was kind of out of the box guy, you know, to give a guy that only played defense one year, you know. That's definitely out of the box. Yeah, and uh, just kind of – see the projections of somebody. I think he he did that as well as anybody uh, as a GM in the league. Um, so he was confident enough and established enough to, to take that chance. So what's that like now? I mean, in terms of it's all of a sudden a business. I mean, this is yeah. your job. But in terms of going through the contract, negotiations, the contract process. I mean, what is all that like with your agent? Man, it's it's you don't know, so it's it's a lot just relying on your agent, to be quite honest. You and know, hoping they're Yeah, that they're right in the best interest of you. Yes. And so it was uh, you know, he kept me abreast of everything, all the conversations I were in, but I wasn't really a part of those conversations while it was happening. I just was kinda afterwards like, well this is what they're saying because I can't account. Like I was two days late because of contract issue, um, and we end up working it out. But uh, you're just not a part of it. You're just trusting. You know what's going to happen is just win. You know, and you want to be there at the start and and uh, and get and get out there and get with your teammates and start to prove why we drafted you this early or why we drafted you at all. And, and that's kind of that's the next step of it is proving yourself to your teammates and the coaches and the GM. Uh, So you kind of go through that and you establish yourself. And uh, and now it's just trying to be a pro. So what did you do when you mean trying to be a pro? What did that look like for Patrick Well, it's it's one, I mean, I've never was a kid that wasn't on time or didn't do the things that was asked. But it's the things that you have to do outside of practice, the things you got to stay behind and get extra running in, things you have to take care of your body, the way that you eat, getting sleep, rest. Uh, studying. That's what I mean by being a pro. It's, yeah, you got your meetings, but in order to really grasp the game plan, you got to put another 12, 15 hours into it, you know, in order to really be on your game on game day. And uh, when you're young, you just want to get out of there. You want to get your meetings, get practice, and you want to go do something else. Uh, And so I have some good veterans, Junior, uh, say how we really became good friends. We really became workout buddies. We lived right by each other, and so I know Bobby and those guys asked him to kind of take me on this wing, and uh, he let me hold his car when I first got there because I didn't have my car out there yet. So it was good to watch him, and, and what better guy, man. That dude worked harder than anybody I've ever seen in my life. you know. And, and this guy was already an all-pro many years and established, but now I remember the first day of practice, you know, you're doing seven on seven, and they throw a, a goal route on the opposite side of the field. When he might have had a curl drop on the on the other side of the field, that dude take off full speed, run all the way down the field, and run back. And I'm like, what the heck? You know, we all turn and run. We react to the ball, but we ain't running that far. And he say, man, this is what you got to do in the game. If you ain't conditioned to play like this, then you go get in the game. You're not gonna be in shape. It's not gonna be a habit for you. So I run everything. And so, and so if you saw a defense center, we ran to everything. You know, I don't care what it was. Boom, you were running. You go and in every drill, everything we did, and a lot of that was led by by Junior. Yeah. So he was obviously the the team leader and the team captain, and everybody followed yeah. his lead. Yes, he he was, and 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 deservingly so. I mean, because again, he led by example. You want to go out work him. You want to go out work him in the weight room. You know, he was going to stay out to practice and run. You know, it's just who he was. And then his personality was bigger than life, um, of course. But uh, Yeah, was he a jokester? Man, he was funny. Uh, he was uh, he was outgoing. And he, you know, a lot of times you go to teams, quarterback's a natural star. So, I mean, of a team. That's the right. NFL. I don't care if they want to be or not. They're just a natural star. And and, and it was Stan Humphreys during that time in uh, – Stan was uh was not that approachable, uh, I should say. <laughs> but Junior talked to offensive guys, rookies, veterans. You know, he was all over the place with with how he dealt with everybody. So, do you remember your very first 
NFL regular season game. Not not a preseason game. I'm talking about, I mean, this is now NFL regular season game. Yep. Uh, we played the Rams. I remember that. And uh, I remember they threw a, a flare route in the flat, and I I cleaned the guy's clock. And uh, <laughs> my uh, linebacker coach, Dale Ellis, I came to the sideline after that. He said, yep, you finally popped your chair, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the NFL. <laughs> And that was just, you know, from that, man, it's just kind of that environment. It's just an environment that is ultra competitive. And when you got some good guys in your group, and what I mean by that, and your position, it, I mean, it goes a long way, you know, as a, as, a, as a rookie in the league. You got some good veterans around you. Uh, I think that's why New England plays at the level they play at, because they keep good veterans on that team that, that help the younger guys out. What about who were some of the toughest guys you had to play against? Whew. Quarterback, running back wise? Easy. Uh Larry Allen for Dallas. Uh oh, he was a big LA was guy. a I mean, I've never seen a guy so big, strong, and powerful and athletic, long arms, didn't talk, you know, some guys, because you get out there, you want to talk trash, it kind of helps you play. L.A. just keep coming and just get up and his face is smushed in his helmet <laughs> and he don't say anything and he just keep coming the whole day. But uh, probably one of the best offensive line I ever played against was uh, was Larry Allen by far, and I'm, I'm sure a lot of people would say the same thing. Uh, running back, uh, Emmett was good. Bam Morris was one of those guys that would, uh, would bring it because he was just such a big guy. Uh, but I'll say the toughest, this may surprise you, I would say it would probably be Eddie George. Yeah, that I played against because here's why. A guy like Emmett's going to get down. Emmett's never going to try to run you over. He's going to try to make you miss. He's going to get down. Uh, even playing against Bear Sanders. Bear's going to make you miss. Bear's never trying to run you over. Um, uh, who else was some good guy? Napoleon Kaufman, all those guys was just fast. And Jerome Bettis, straight line guy. He's going to try to run you over. Bell Center going to try to make you miss. But Eddie was big enough to run you over. And he was fast enough and quick enough to make you miss. So when you got a one-on-one -on -one hit with him, you couldn't sell out because you knew he was going to try to run you over, a straight line guy. He had wiggles too. But if you broke down, he could actually run you over. So <laughs> it was always a game-tackling mentality against Eddie. It was always uh, it was always tough playing against him one-on-one. -on -one. He was really good in his heyday. He was a tough guy to, to play against. How much of a trash talker were you then? Oh, I talk trash all the time. <laughs> That's just me, man. It's 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 in me. But I, I had some humbling humbling guys, man. I remember uh, playing Oakland and Tim Brown. And he caught a little snag route, and I came downhill, hit him, got up like, yeah, 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 you ain't getting nothing on this side all day. I'm here all day. <laughs> and he looks at me, man, and he's like, sap. Who is Sap? Who are you? And I'm just looking at him like, you gonna know who I am today? <laughs> He's like, who are you? I had never heard of you, man. Who are you? And I was like, <laughs> so that's so you get some of it back, yes. man. And uh, and and then in the league, the, the referees talk trash. Oh yeah, they oh, give tell me you, an example. Yeah, like you, if you saying, you know, guys holding me, you know, man, he's holding me. You got to flag. Shut up, stop crying, baby. He ain't holding you. Get off a block. Like you, like what? How's the ref talking snags to me, man? But uh, this is that's the that's the nature of the league, man. It it, it is a a man's game, and uh, it, it's one of those barbaric sports. It is a man's game. Another thing that I think is very unique, especially in sports, is the situation that. You're on a team, and then you you can get traded yeah. to another team. You experience that firsthand. I mean, I just think that is crazy because if people could relate it to, say, the business world, somebody working for Microsoft walk into the office and they say, <laughs> hey, you've been traded to Google. Right. I mean, that's the, that's the same type of thing. So how did that happen with you? Man, and it, how are you told that you had been traded? I was in Florida at my stores at the time. And I literally got a call from my agent saying, you just got traded to Arizona. And I'm like, what? You know, I didn't know it was happening. Do you um, think it was a joke? No, I mean, I know he wouldn't joke that way, but it was, it was literally, that's how it happened. And so, and again, I had to get to Arizona to do press. So I had to leave the next day. And then I had to figure out to get stuff from my house to find a place in Arizona. So it's, it's literally that fast, um, and that's kind of how it happens. Uh, and I got caught up in that whole Ryan Leaf 
draft pick because we needed a quarterback in San Diego, and uh, and I got caught up in that. But you know, it was really good. I was at first I was pissed off by it, but once I got to Arizona and got around my teammates and in the culture there, I was like, you know what, I, I like this. Even though me and Junior were good friends, we still would get together in the offseason and, and work out and stuff like that. But uh, uh, going there, we had some good teams, some good success, and uh, it was good for me. It was a good place. Did Bobby Beathard even reach out to you? No, I didn't talk to Bobby uh, after that. I saw him later on down the road, but no, he didn't call me and tell me. It was literally my agent told me. And uh, and that was it. That was really uh, the only communication you had. Uh, I just think that's so they, they bizarre. Sent all my stuff to the to the Cardinals, you know, all my pads and stuff like that, and and here I am in their locker room the next day. Did uh, it affect your confidence at all? No, it, it didn't because I kind of understood why it happened, and I kind of understood why Arizona wanted me as well. So it, it really didn't. It was just one of those things that that happened. You know, um, can't really take a lot of stuff personal. Um, you just got to continue to to get better every season, and because you all, I, I, I tell people this: you lose a little bit every year. You lose a little bit, a little bit of speed, a little bit of strength goes away. The off season is about maintaining and building back what you've torn down during the season. So that's kind of how you look at it: is you rebuilding, you're getting better, you're working on weaknesses, but every year you lose a little bit. Just a little bit. How you live, how you sleep, how you eat, how you train can determine how much you lose. But we all lose a little bit. And so you try to keep that away as long as you can uh, to, to, to stay there. Now, so. do you think you might have been able to play in the league a little bit longer if you would have had the same type of training regimens and things they have today? Yeah, I think so. But my thing was I just didn't have the instinctiveness uh, – to play the position because I hadn't played it, you know. For a long only, period of time. Right, for one year. So what helped me curve that was playing quarterback. So I knew defense. I knew coverages. I knew fronts. I knew leverages. I knew weaknesses of defense. And so you take that and you turn that around from a defense end. I know offense because I was a quarterback. So I know what formation is trying to do to you. I know what run sets. I know what how you can get attacked in this way. I knew if we in cover two where the weaknesses are in coverages. I knew we cover three. I knew so I just flipped that around and used that. But I didn't have the natural feel of playing a position for seven years. So for me it was hard. So I was always learning. Every day was a learning experience. Every time you were out there, uh, you were trying to every learn practice, something. Every day was a learning thing. And so I think that's if I would have played at least two or three years in college, I would have played much longer. So then, how difficult was it to finally make that decision to walk right, away from to it? walk away? You know what? It it, it was it wasn't because uh, like you like we talked about earlier about the clothing stores, about the community service. I knew I was more than a football player, um, and football for me was a profession, not an identity. So I didn't look at it like a lot of guys. Even though I worked my butt off, even though it was a childhood goal of mine, I did not walk around with it on my shoulder or my chest. It was my job. But I'm this, 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 this. This is just what I do. Um, so I got I ended up getting cut by Indianapolis, and I literally sat in a hotel room that night and laid down. I was like, I, I got a call for some more teams. My agent, like, they want to bring you in. I was like, you know what, man, I'm done. And I was like, all right, what's next? I'm going to wake up tomorrow, and and that's what I'm going to do. But uh, I'll tell you this, one caveat. So we talked about the night I got drafted. Um, I haven't told many people this, but when I got a call from Bobby Bether and told me I was drafted, when I hung the phone up, I swear to God is my witness, it was like a loud voice spoke to me. It's like, this is not what you're supposed to do. This is a part of what you're supposed to do. So that's always been in me. So for me, I think that's why I look at football as a job, not my identity, as a, as a head start in life, not what I'm supposed to only do in life. So it was easier for me probably than most people to turn the corner and do something next. Um, so so that was always how, in the back of your head, yeah. knowing that so you that's remember why, that voice. So that's why I always – 
harness relationships. That's how I've always kept in touch with folks that I was fortunate enough to to meet along that journey. That's why I've always done different business ventures, um, all types of stuff, man. It's just because I'm still kind of trying to figure out what that is. But <laughs> I think we all are. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's the, that's the way I understand life is, you know, it's, it's a journey and, and uh, football is just a big part of it. Uh, it got me into doors that most people can't get into. And uh, that's kind of how I've used it. Then what was the next step that next morning after you wake up in Indianapolis? So the next morning I, I talked with my agent. Then me and him went into business together. So I kind of started doing the de- business uh, player development for our guys that we represented. I uh, did that for some years. Uh, I didn't get drafted before I got – I mean, I didn't graduate before I got drafted. So I always promised my mom I was going to graduate from college. And, you know, I only played – you know, I went – I didn't get registered at Clemson, so I was out of there in basically three and a half years, uh, which guys are graduating now in three and a half years. But I had another semester to go to school. School was in, man. I kept telling uh, Bill DeAndre I'm going to come back to school, but it's never the right time, right? So I'm going <laughs> to do it online. Timing's not good right yeah, now. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going to do it online, and it's like, oh, this is going to take five years to do a semester. So in, in 06 – School at Clemson had been in for like a week, and I literally packed up stuff in my car, checked in the hotel at Clemson, checked in the school, and I finished. I just said, I got to do it. If I don't do it like this, I'm never going to do it. So I'm in the classroom after 11 years, man, with, you know, Facebook and never heard of Facebook and a computer. (laughs) Everything's on a computer. And I'm like, you know, I'm in class. During our time, we only use a computer to do a paper. At a computer lab, yeah, and you yeah. had to go reserve time. That's right. <laughs> so it's funny. I was in class one day that it was a girl that uh, that you know you kind of sit in the same place every day, and they was talking about Facebook, and I just kind of leaned up and said, "What is Facebook?" And she's like, "You don't know what Facebook <laughs> is." Everybody turns and looks at me like I'm some dang old old man in class, and I'm like, "Well, you are the old yeah, man I in am. class." I'm like, no, I don't know what Facebook is. You could talk to your high school classmates. And I'm like, why the heck do I want to talk to my high school classmates? But, <laughs> you know, but that's just kind of my introduction to it. And I went through that. And uh, Clemson offered me a couple of jobs when I graduated. And development and fundraising was one of them. And uh, selfishly, I'm like, man, if I can learn how to raise money, then for my own personal business things, I can learn how to do the same thing. And so I'm like, All right, I'll do this for two years and then move on. And I've been here 11 years now. I was about now. to say, you haven't moved on yet. <laughs> so I'm still, still here uh, with, working with Clemson. And hey, man, what a better place to to be right now. Yeah, what I mean, has Clemson awesome. meant to you? Man, it, it has been a, a a heck of a place, a great journey. I mean, I've been at every level of Clemson, being a student, student athlete, and now employee working there. I mean, it's a fun place to be. Um I feel like we're doing some really good work. Um, I mean, our student athletes are graduating. Our students are getting great jobs. And our degrees probably mean more than anything now with the influx of great students we had over the you know last 10 years. of You know, I think it's tough to get in there now. There's you know? no way I could get in there, Patrick. <laughs> I promise you. <laughs> and, and so it's. I think we're doing – we're being good stewards of the money that we're raising and bringing in. I think that's, that's showing at every level of Clemson. So it's uh, – it's an awesome place to be. It's meant a lot for me, uh, definitely. Yeah, it means a lot to my heart as well, and it's come full circle. My oldest is a freshman at Clemson this wow. year. Uh, yeah, so it means even more. And I'm like, and you don't know how lucky, no, thank you. <laughs> how lucky you are that you're on campus with a national championship. Well, you know? yeah, and it's, it's, it's still one of those few places in my mind that uh, – you still get a college experience and environment. You do. Yes. You know, you still got kids living on campus. You know, it's not a big city where you're intertwined in a city. It's kind of a, still a campus feel. And I know as a parent, you got to feel good that your kid is safe. You know, a lot of stuff don't really happen at Clemson. It's kind of a still safe place for your kids to go to school. So it's it's a good place. I lovingly refer to it as a hidden gym, but we know it's not hidden gym anymore. No. I mean, it's on the map now. Everybody knows yeah, people where still Clemson, don't South know. Carolina is. Right. They, they know Clemson, <laughs> but still you get some people like, so where's Clemson at? Well, it's amazing. And I'm like, it's Clemson, South Carolina. Yeah. It's a city called Clemson? Like, yeah. And I know you'll remember <laughs> this game at Virginia, um, 1992. And oh, yeah. 
We're down 28 to 0 yep. at Virginia. And I was there in the stands, and people in the stands were yelling, Hey, go back to Georgia. I'm oh, like, really? <laughs> Georgia? Clemson's in South Carolina. And it was fabulous that we made that unbelievable comeback. I mean, you, yeah. you know what I'm talking about. That 29 was, points Lou in Solomon the second half. That's right. That game. <laughs> now, what about, what about sports in terms of what you've been able to gain from sports and how it's helped your life and just the impact it's had? Man, sports is, I mean, it's intertwined in my life in so many different ways. The way I parent, uh, the way that I do business, um, the way things that I live up, values that I have and live by on a daily basis, uh, moral compass. But uh, for me, it, it, it taught me how to compete, it taught me how to be um, independent and confident, um, taught me how to work with folks that you may not particularly like or agree with. But you still, for a common goal, you you, you got to work with. So on a job, you know, working with Clemson, we might not have things in common or whatever or folks you're doing business with, but you still be professional about it. You know, you still go about and you you, you accomplish those goals. Um, it, it teach you, it taught me how to assess people, you know, to understand the value of folks that are around you and, and what that means to, again, what you guys may be doing in a work environment or or the business world, or folks that you want to be friends with and, and, and put into your circle. Um, most importantly, though, for me, and I, and I think about it from in terms of my son raising him and say, okay, you go play some sport. I don't care what it is. You, you know, it's not about going pro in it. It's about the lessons that it's going to give you. And so you kind of you know, take a kid and push him out there and, and let him get out there and, and kind of um, – Learn how to compete and work with folks and 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 common goals. I think is is huge. But um, I would tell anybody, you know, if you have kids or had an opportunity, play sports. Let them do something. I don't care what it is. It, it's those valuable lessons uh, goes a long way. And uh, so I've always had this conversation with my son. If you start something, you got to finish it. You ain't got to do it again. So no quitting. Right. So don't tell. Don't come home every day. I want to try soccer. I want to try baseball. I want to <laughs> No, if you go do it, understand, you're going to be that whole season now. You ain't got to do it next year. Uh, so we don't quit anything. Um, and then do your best. That's all I require of him. If you go do something, schoolwork, whatever you uh, put yourself in, be you and do your best. I'll never get mad at you for that. We all got different skill levels, but we all can do the best we could do. And I think sports challenges you to do that constantly. Every day, you have to do that. You're in an environment. you got to challenge yourself every day to be present, uh, to be there, to do my best. And uh, if you don't have that, sometimes you those challenges can be too far, few in between, and then you become an adult. And now real life hits you, and it's like, i got to go compete for a job. i got to go out there now and, and figure out a way to, to run a business that I want to start, but I don't know how to scrap and fight and sacrifice. Well, I think sports kind of teaches us a lot of those lessons uh, to do that. I agree. And obviously you're pushing wisdom towards your son because of life experiences that you've been through. But what other words of wisdom that has meant a lot to you that you would like to share? And it could be, you um, know, just life advice or phrases, quotes, whatever. Uh, I think it's two things. For me, I'll talk from a parent standpoint, and this is true, and this may sound cliche, but I was taught that I could do anything I wanted to do. And now that's very hard. It's much easier said than done, right? Because you really got to have that self-confidence and, that, and that, that thing inside of you that believes that. So I believe that. If I want to be an astronaut, a doctor, or an actor, or whatever, I never doubted my intelligence or my work to become that. So if you look at my life, that's how I live. You know, going there and telling a coach I want to play linebacker in one year. And like, I, but I hadn't played defense since junior high school. Well, that takes them to be able to do that. But I never questioned myself that I couldn't do it. And so as I look back at different things that I've been a part of, that has meant so much in my life. So if I tell parents anything, Please try to instill that into your kids because, you know, that goes so far in that. 
you know, it, it goes so much into them being successful and being able to deal with life. Uh, I would say the other thing for me is the, the design of life, the way I see it is that I think, you know, God challenges us purposely, right? And so what I mean by that is I don't care how much religion, money, uh, love you have, um, opportunity, you are going to face adversity in situations. And so I don't care where you're at in your life. It may be in health. It may be financial. It may be with a spouse. It may be with kids. You go deal with some toughness in life. It's how you react to that. And so if you understand that to be such, when it happens, you look at that verse and say, okay, let's go. I'm ready. And that's just kind of how I am. It's like something happens, okay, you know, I, I don't go on a tank. I don't go whatever. I attack it. Let's go. You know, it's just a part of it. And so those two things for me has gone a long way in my life. And uh, and I try to do and teach my son like his same way, man, those, those things. So when I talk to young people, I talk about that uh, because, you know, you go deal with that until you die. That's, that's just what it it's is. It's inevitable. Yep. It's yeah. just part of life. Yep. So if you if you can be ahead of that and understand it that way, you're going to be much better off dealing with it. Those are very wise words. And Patrick, thank you for not only sharing that, but just sharing a little bit about your journey and sharing your time today. I can't thank right. you enough. Right. And I'm just going to make sure that Next time I see you, I want to try on one of your hats. So. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome to it, man. I appreciate you having me on. Um, appreciate you guys' support. And, uh, what a good show, man. So thank you. The power of believing is real, and it doesn't matter if it's in sports, business, or your daily life. And there will always be adversity that we will face in our lives, but it's those challenges that will make us stronger. And we should embrace those challenges with that belief that we can succeed no matter what the circumstances are and to also fully understand that both successes and failures don't define us. Now that finishes episode 102 and you can also watch our conversations by visiting our Rich Take on Sports Facebook page and YouTube channel where you can easily subscribe. And remember, focus forward so we don't live in the past. All the best, everyone. You've been listening to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Visit richtakeonsports.com to subscribe and catch up on any episodes you might have missed. You can also follow us on Twitter at Rich Take Sports. Thanks for listening.